Um, hey, man, I kind of miss Romans, you know, like I'd almost like to just go back and preach that again. Uh, it was so much fun. But uh, the good news is we get to go old school, right, today. We get to go Old Testament for the next several weeks, and uh, specifically to a book that, that maybe, at least I don't think we've preached on in my time here, and that's uh, Joshua, right? Joshua, Jeshuash, right? Uh, did you know that um, Joshua's name actually uh, has some of the same roots as Jesus' name? Is that crazy or what, right? Joshua's name means Yahweh is salvation. That's a pretty good name, right? I mean, my name is Matthew. That's gift of God. Thank you. Thank you. Right? But Yahweh is salvation. That's pretty good too, right? Um, but before we dive into this book, I kind of want to give you a little bit of context, all right? Because I want you to understand just kind of who Joshua is and, and where we're going with this. So by the time the Israelites had left Egypt, right, we're talking about, you know, the deliverance, they come out of Egypt, Joshua was actually already um, past 40 years of age. I'm 38. So Joshua was already older than me, right, when the Israelites left Egypt. And sometimes I think we think of, like, Joshua and Caleb as being these baby-faced, like, teenagers, right? But, but Joshua was actually, uh, he was getting up there, right? Right? Everybody over 40 is like, getting up there, what are you talking about? Sorry, I'm coming, I'm coming. It was Joshua who had commanded the Israelite forces um, that fought off the Amalekites. That story is recorded in Exodus 17. I'm actually going to read that for you real quick. This is verses 8 through 14. It says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Uh, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur then held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then, here's what I want you to catch. The Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Okay, so this is significant because Moses was kind of like Joshua's mentor, right? Joshua became his sort of personal assistant as they were um, spending a year at Mount Sinai. And, and Moses kind of became his mentor. No doubt Joshua learned a lot from Moses. If nothing else, Joshua learned early on what it really meant to trust God when all of the odds were kind of stacked against you. Right? So even when it seems like something is impossible, God can do the impossible. Joshua was also one of the 12 spies who scouted Canaan as a possible landing place for the Israelites. In fact, he and Caleb were the only two out of the 12 that spied who, who believed that the Israelites should actually take that land. And then strangely enough, the remaining 10 all died before the end of the 40 years in the wilderness. So none of them actually got to see the promised land. And as I've already mentioned, Joshua's full name means Yahweh is salvation. And interestingly enough, this is the same as the Hellenized form of the name Jesus. 
So that gives you a little bit of context, right? So now that we have a little bit of background, we can actually kind of dive in. So we're going to look at the first chapter, and we're actually going to look at the first nine verses. So here it is. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. I think you already said that once, right? Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So God kind of promises uh, Joshua right off the bat here that he will be successful. Now, that's a word we need to talk about for just a second. Because the world's view of success, and I don't need to tell you this, is very different from God's view of success. Success is often defined as the accomplishment of one's goals. Worldly success usually involves the attainment of wealth, position, honors, or the like. In other words, worldly success typically involves around reaching one's personal goals and achieving personal gain, right? So I'm reaching my goals, and in the process, I'm achieving personal gain. Time and time again, though, the words of Scripture, God's truth, sort of challenge the world's definition of success. For instance, Jesus said that if anyone would come after him, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow him. Denying self doesn't sound much like worldly success, does it? I mean, that's not really how the world, oh, you want to be successful? Go deny yourself. Nah, right? The Apostle Paul said, for I am crucified with Christ. We read this just a couple weeks ago. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Surrendering control doesn't sound much like worldly success, does it? You want to be successful? Just go surrender all of your control. <laughs> Few CEOs might fight back on that one. Jesus said that whatever we do to the least of these, we do to him. James said that pure religion is to look after widows and orphans in their distress. Caring for the least of these doesn't sound much like worldly success either. Now, church, I don't want you to hear me saying this morning that goals aren't important, okay? Goals are important. The leadership of this church just met this week to talk about our goals for 2019. I mean, even we as an organization set goals. 
What we don't want to do, however, is get the cart before the horse, right? We don't want to box God in. We need to be absolutely certain that the goals we have are his goals for us. And the only way to ensure this happens is to be more consumed with him than we are with ourselves. You see, we cannot reach God-sized goals when we are concerned about what's in it for me. And that is so often how we approach life, isn't it? Like, what am I going to gain from this? And God says, oh no. What is the kingdom going to benefit, right, from this? What if our church was to redefine success? success? What if success was determined not by how much money we made, but by how much money we gave away to persons who were in need? What if success was determined not by a master's degree, but by the degree to which we were willing to love and serve our neighbors? What if success was determined not by the abundance of our possessions, but by the abundance of our relationships with those who don't know Jesus Christ? God promised Joshua success, but there were three things that God asked of Joshua. Three things. And I think that God wants the same three things for us. So we're going to look at these this morning. And the first thing is this. The first thing God wanted from Joshua was for him to be what? Strong, right? We said it over and over and over again. Be strong. Now, we often think of the idea of being strong as being a physical thing, right? Like a physical strength, like be strong. But the idea of being strong need not mean physically strong. Now, I'm sure for warfare and for some of the things that Joshua had to do, including marching around those walls of Jericho, there needed to be some, some amount of physical strength, right? It certainly wouldn't have hurt. But this root idea of strength is holding firmly to something. For Joshua and for us, we have to be, above all else, spiritually strong. Physical and mental strength are important for sure, but where we really have to be strong is in our connection with God. Joshua had to be strong in his convictions. He had to believe in the mission that God had given him. The Israelites could not see him wavering in his attempt to fulfill that mission, right? To waver would be very risky, very dangerous. We often think the opposite. But in some ways, there can actually be great strength in vulnerability. Now, that seems really weird, and that seems very contrary to the world's understanding of success, right? Well, if I really want to be strong, if I really want people to see me as strong, then I need to make myself vulnerable. Mm, doesn't make a lot of sense. But you see, Joshua, he didn't have all the details. I mean, God didn't lay it out for him, A, B, C, D, E, right? And we don't always have all the details either. In fact, more often than not, there are going to be a lot of blanks that need to be filled in, right? God's going to say, hey, you, go here. Hey, you, do this. Hey, you, talk to him. But, but outside of that, there's not going to be a lot of information given a lot of times. But more than anything, God is instructing us and God was instructing Joshua to be ready and to be willing, 
to be ready and to be willing. God asks us to do the same, to be ready and to be willing, to be open, right? To be open-minded, to be open-hearted. God did give Joshua this promise. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And he gives us that same promise. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I mean, what God is essentially saying is, look, there are going to be times, believer, when I need you to put yourself out there to be ready, to be willing, to be open, to have an open mind, to have an open heart, right? I mean, God says to each of us, just like he said through the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43, he says, forget the former things, stop dwelling on the past, because I am doing a new thing. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland, right? He's saying, I'm opening up something for you, but in order to receive it, in order to to be a part of it, you have to be open. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be strong, but sometimes strength looks like this and not like this, right? You have to be willing to let God work. There may just be a new thing that God is wanting to do in you. The question is, are you ready? Are you willing? Are you open? The second thing that God wanted from Joshua was courage, right? He said, be strong and courageous. Now, there's a misunderstanding that's out there that courage is actually the absence of fear, right? If I have courage, then I don't have fear, and that, that couldn't be more wrong, right? Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage even assumes fear, right? Fear is kind of a given, right? Any situation where you're going to need incredible courage, there's probably going to also be incredible fear. It just makes sense. Think of all the things that we would have never done had we waited for our fear to sort of just subside, right? Well, God, when I'm finally not scared of that, then I'll move forward. Well, it's going to be a while, right? Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is rather the willingness to strap fear on and keep moving forward, right? Keep moving ahead. Courage holds the energy of fear under control, and it channels it towards positive ends. Life will test our courage, but as Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, we have nothing to fear. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Maybe nakedness. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, right? We have nothing to fear because nothing will separate us from the love of God. Ultimately, nothing can. Not trouble, not hardship, not persecution, not famine, not sword. Not finances, not job loss, not divorce, you name it. God does not promise a life that is free from these things. But what we do have is his presence and his power and his peace. He promises to be with us every step of the way. Joshua no longer had Moses. Joshua did not have all the details. But God was calling Joshua to something bigger than him. In the midst of fear, God told Joshua to be strong and courageous because he was with him. And the same goes for us. In fact, Jesus Christ 
makes us the same promise in Matthew 28, the Great Commission, where he says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything as I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? Be strong. Be courageous. And there's one more thing. There's one more thing that God wanted from Joshua, and that was that Joshua be obedient. Obedient. The same is true for us. In addition to being strong and courageous, we must also be obedient. In the first chapter of Joshua, verse 16, we read these words of the Israelites. They say to Joshua, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Wouldn't you love it if your children said that to you? (laughs) All right, Dad, whatever you've commanded us to do, we will do it. And wherever you tell us to go, we will go. Hallelujah. I can die a happy man. If any of the Israelites had tried to conquer the promised land their own way, chaos would have resulted. In order to complete the enormous task of conquering the land, everyone had to agree with the leader's plan. Everyone had to be willing to support and obey their leader. And the people did trust Joshua. Why? They trusted Joshua because Joshua trusted God. They trusted Joshua because Joshua was obedient to God's instruction. If we are going to complete the task that God has given us, we must fully agree to his plan. We must pledge ourselves to obey it, and we must put his principles into action. Agreeing to God's plan means both knowing what the plan is and carrying it out. And you might say, but pastor, how am I supposed to know the plan? Remember what God said to Joshua. He said, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. Then, then you will be prosperous and successful. Church, in order to carry out God's plan, we have to be hearers and doers of God's word. That's exactly what James says in chapter 1, verse 22. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it is says. Do what it says. So what is God calling you to? Who is God calling you to be? We have to be strong. We have to be courageous. And we have to remember that strength and courage are not found so much within us as they are in knowing that God is with us. We have to rely on God in faith not on our own devices, not on our own abilities. We have to trust him. We have to stand at the ready. We have to open ourselves up. We have to strap on our fears. We have to stay focused and stay obedient. We have to get in the word and spend time there and spend time in prayer and meditation. Because here's what I know. I know that God is up to something here. God is up to something here. I sense it. Does anybody else sense it? Does anybody else sense when they're out in the community? I mean, not just the church, but out in the community that God is up to something? And I don't just mean putting in a new tire place. I mean, like, God is up to something, right? Like, God's up to something really cool. 
And I'm just crazy enough to believe that whatever it is that God is up to in this community, it starts right here. It starts with this church. And here's the other really cool thing. God is up to something really great here in this church. But guess what? It starts with you. It starts with your family. And the way I see it, you can be on one of two sides of this. You can be like throwing your hands up and saying, God, I surrender. I'm open. I'm ready. I'm willing. Show me, right? Like, I want to go. I want to be obedient. Or you can kind of be on the other side of it, and it's still going to happen, and God's still going to blow the doors off, and then you're going to be sitting back three or four months, three or four years, whatever, from now, looking back, saying, man, I wish I had, I wish I had just bought in, right? Like, I wish I had just completely surrendered at that moment. Like, I had that opportunity. It was there. It was in front of me. And I didn't take it. And man, I wish I had because there's some really... And listen, that doesn't mean it's too late, right? Like, you you can jump on board anytime. This train never really leaves the station, right? You can get on board anytime. But but the reality is, think about what you might miss, right? Like, I don't want to miss it. Like, that was me about two months ago. I'm like, man, God is up to something here. And I don't want it to leave me behind, Right? Like, I don't want to be that old curmudgeon, like, sitting in my seat going, you know? Like, I'm going to be like, God, you're you're doing something. Like, can I just join up with that? Like, can I be a part of that? And God's like, yeah, come on, right? Come on. I want to be a part of that. God is up to something. It starts with you. It starts with your family. And so, God, we want to say thank you, God. We want to say thank you for who you are and for what you're doing here in this place. God, for what you've already done, for the, for the pieces, for the foundation that you've already began to lay down, God, thank you. We are grateful. And God, we don't claim to have all the answers. We don't claim to know all the things that are unfolding here, God, but we sense that you're up to something. And God, we trust you. And God, we're ready. And God, we're willing. And God, we're open. And so, Father, now, use us, united. Use us collectively as one, as one body. God, to bless this community, to bless this world. Father, we sense that you are up to something and that that something is supernatural. That something is is way beyond us. We couldn't conjure this stuff up in our minds. We couldn't make this stuff up, God. We couldn't even dream it up clearly a a work of yours and so father we want to be your workmanship we believe we are your workmanship created in christ jesus to do good works god which you prepared in advance for us to do and so god you already know you already know what you're up to you already know what you've got planned you're already laying down the foundation and so now god my prayer for every man and every woman and every young man and every young woman in this room right now is that we would just throw up our hands and surrender and say holy god i want to be a part of that whatever it is it's of you it's from you i believe it and i want to surrender to it and so god we just we raise up holy hands of surrender this morning as we get ready to sing god we just want to surrender we surrender our voices We surrender our hearts. We surrender our heads. We surrender our wills. We surrender our understanding of success and what it means to be successful. God, we surrender that to you this morning.
Give us a new heart. Create in us a new desire, a new passion. And use us to your glory. For it's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray. And all God's people said, amen.